Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Catherine Bennett, Utah's strongest woman. We discussed sobriety. We discussed eating disorders, self-harm, PTSD, all the great things that come with getting sober, or I should say all the things that ultimately drive us to getting sober and what we can achieve once we've reached that sobriety. She is a world record holding weightlifter, a fellow sober knot, and all around fantastic person. Um, it was insightful and, and, and really helpful for me today. We talked about the psychic ick that builds up inside of us and that it's not just alcoholics. It's everybody. It's a human condition. Um, and finding a way to release that psychic ache, whatever it might be, whether it's lifting weights or running or any number of positive coping mechanisms that are so desperately needed in these times. But it was so fantastic. I think you're really going to like this one. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Catherine Bennett. The official drink of sobriety is that the, is that the limoncello flavor? This is the limoncello flavor. Um, I also nice have the one. key lime here and the watermelon, the, the empty cans on the desk. So, what do you, uh, what's your favorite? Oh, it's gotta be the key lime. The key lime, key lime. the key lime tastes like, uh, like lime jello. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I would love to endorse. <laughs> look, look, if anybody on LaCroix is listening, uh, I am here to endorse your product. Sobriety drink times 10. Yeah, <laughs> I, I once, um, I was on Twitter and I think I followed them or there was something about tag somebody to enter to win or something like that, which I think they were probably just giving away a bunch of stuff, but I got like three cases or three 12 packs of like new flavors. And, um, oh so was, they just sent me this huge box that was all in this LaCroix, like wrapping and whatever. And it was, it was fun and exciting. And, you know, it's, it's, it's those little things. I mean, I guess we used to get excited about new beers or new flavored vodkas or whatever but yeah now it's now it's what desserts and ice creams and mm -hmm. coffees and yes <laughs> new flavors of pre-workout i'm here for yes. that too give me some yes <laughs> um i don't do the pre-workout stuff i mean i'm still dealing i i have uh and i want to talk to you about strength training too because yeah. it's something that i am sorely lacking in and come to realize it in a very painful way over the last year, but yeah. <laughs> um, Fair enough. I sustained an injury as a middle-aged man. It's bound to happen yeah. when you're using improper form and lifting things that are too heavy. <laughs> so well, learn not to do that again, didn't you? <clears throat> oh yes. It's been months. <laughs> um, so, well, first, thank you for doing this. This is super awesome. Um, and you know, my favorite first question for all my guests is what do you remember? Like what's your earliest memory of alcohol in your life or in your family? Oh yeah. So, um, so my family, we were, uh, teetotalers, right? Like mm -hmm. my, my folks were really conscientious and thoughtful about, about alcohol, not being in the home because we have such a heritage of, um, abuse of substances. Mm -hmm. Um, and so honestly, like, I remember, I remember maybe, you know, my dad drinking a beer here and there, but it wasn't anything super impactful. My first real memory of alcohol is when I started drinking it. 
Um, when I was, I went off to college. Um, so I graduated high school when I was 15. Um, and so I went off to college quite young, like 16. And I went to my first fraternity party and here was this forbidden substance that my whole life, everybody said, don't touch it. The church says, don't touch it. My parents say, don't touch it. I'm like, I'm going to touch it. <laughs> I'm going to touch it. I'm going to drink it a lot. <laughs> and, and so I remember uh, that Smirnoff ice, that very first one at that. Oh, I know. Yeah. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a classy, I'm a classy lady, yes. right? Um, standing around a, uh, like a trash can fire in a backyard of a fraternity party, drinking Smirnoff ice. And I remember immediately feeling like, oh shit, this is the solution to my problems here. Mm-hmm. It is like when people talk about that in AA meetings, like, like when you discover that alcohol is going to fix things, that's absolutely my experience. I felt like amazing after having that first drink. Yeah. And what were, what were the problems that you perceived as a 16 year old in college? I, I imagine there were several, there were lots. Oh yeah. yeah there's some social limitations. If you're, <laughs> my mom had to drive me to college for my first year. Wow. Um, so that doesn't, that doesn't make you seem like a weirdo or anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I, you know, I had a lot of childhood uh, emotional abuse and trauma um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of um, internalized um like a lot of internalized pain that was fighting to get its way out. And so, so from the outside, and this is what I think is really interesting uh, from the outside, people will see somebody who was again, deeply involved in the church. Um, like uh, I was, I was a varsity athlete. I was an academic all-star obviously to be graduating so young. And I was miserable every day of my life. I was like deeply in- involved in eating disordered behaviors. Um, you know, I self-harm all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it was just because I had, a, I had a lot of trauma that I was trying to get out somehow and I couldn't quite figure it out. Right. Um, so appearances aren't really all what they, what they seem sometimes. No, they're not. We can, it's very easy to look good on paper and, and be absolutely miserable and hating yourself and hurting yourself the entire yeah. time. Um, so smearing off ice was the, the solution to all the problems. Yeah. Well, it seemed like it at first and then, right. you know, decades later, we found out that it's not. <laughs> so. Right. Right. And, but I mean, at 16, I mean, especially because I'm imagining when I uh, 16 and looking at everybody in college, who's at least 18, two to three, four years older than you. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people to look up to, right. These are, these are people to fit in with and alcohol yeah. really helps you find that place to fit in. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big problem. It was a big problem because, um, for my whole childhood, right. Like I'm somebody who doesn't really fit in with the other kids. They're still like, Oh, they like me, but there's still this kind of wall that I felt mm-hmm. there because like, well, you're so much younger, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty weird. Yeah. Like, like, well, we like you. And I never had anybody be, you know, really outright mean to me, but it was just always kind of like, just not a real relationship is what it felt like. Just, okay, maybe we're being nice to her or, you know, and that could be just my perception of things, but you're hundred percent right. Like I get off to college and I'm like, oh man, look at all these. And I grew up overseas too. And so like American kids were kind of new to me also. I grew up in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, I can be like a cool American kid and do all this like American stuff. You know, I'm a, I'm a 16 year old, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed white girl. And I'm just like, oh, look, I can fit in with people that are like me for the first time ever. And, and it, yeah, it was a really, ex- it was a really exciting time. So, um, but, but it didn't go that first, that first drink led down to a, like, I almost failed out of college my first year. Wow. <laughs> like I'm in Mensa and I almost failed out of college my first year because I was like, oh, I love partying, you know, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was a lot of partying that first year. And, um, was there, what were the troubles that well, ex- describe to me what the, the troubles were in, in almost failing and almost flunking out? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So get, get this. I, when I, when I started college, I was like, Hey, 
I'm going to major in the thing that's hardest for me uh, because I feel as though I need to prove my worth as a human being. And so in order to, in order to feel worthy, I need to conquer the biggest mountain. So I decided to go into at Purdue University. I said, I'm going to study physics, not like, you know, any kind of applied science, but like hardcore physics. The, the arrogance required <laughs> to, to, to come in. <laughs> well, I'm so smart. I can major in physics. No. Um, so what happened was that for the first time, and, and I, it's not like I'm not a hard worker, right? I've always mm -hmm. worked hard, but I didn't realize how much harder I was going to have to work in these classes to really be successful. And, um, and then when I ran up against those barriers, you know, I had never really been tested against serious challenges. And yeah. um, I found myself lacking, like I didn't, I genuinely didn't have the aptitude for a lot of these domains. And I was really devastating to me, right? Because like, I, I, I wanted to be the smartest person in the room. And suddenly, I was rapidly humbled, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how do you deal with that when you're a kid? Um, <clears throat> you know, you don't always make the best choices. I ended up eventually, um, what I graduated with was a was a degree in journalism with a chemistry minor, which by the way, chemistry labs are much more fun than physics labs. So <laughs> I so I got to I got to still enjoy my, um, my time in the sciences. But I just I felt like I had to prove my worth somehow instead of doing the thing that I had a natural aptitude for and that I enjoyed. And that yeah, that really led me to really led me to the wrong conclusions. <laughs> um, and so some of those those problems in college, you you obviously you you made it through. Yeah. Um, and drinking didn't have to stop. Well, no, so so okay. So listen, my first my um first year um in college, I stopped, like I drank enthusiastically. And then I, then my whole family said, Hey, uh, if, you know, if you're going to go back, like you barely made it in, uh, you're going to have to stop. And, and we're mm -hmm. going to, you know, we're going to kind of keep an eye on you and make sure that that's the case. Because if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you're drinking this enthusiastically, you're not going to come out with a GPA that's helpful. You're not going to build the connections that you need. Like things aren't going to go well for you. And I, I agreed with that. And then also I got put on some um, psychiatric medication that like didn't play well with alcohol. And so, mm. so I stopped, I stopped for three years and until I turned 21 and, or five years, however long I stopped for a while. Um, but it was not clean sobriety. It was like that dry drunk, mm -hmm. you know, where I tried then, then the self-harm accelerated, then like some of the bad relationship stuff accelerated. Right. And so even though I wasn't drinking, like, Oh, I'm technically sober. Oh, look at me. It's, this is a great decision. You know, I still wasn't, I still wasn't on the right path. Yeah. And yeah. so when you hit 21 and then you can actually go into a bar, Party. that's always a huge <laughs> thing. I mean, I remember being 21 and dating somebody who was under 21, who was like 19. And it was such a struggle because like you can't, you know, because it's just like, that's the, that's the cutoff. And so now I can go out and there's this whole new world of drinking in public and being an idiot in public and going out with your friends. And, um, did you find that, did that accelerate the, the drinking? Well, see, here's the thing. Um, I moved away, like right after my 21st birthday, I moved away to, a, I had been living in Indiana and I moved away to a really small town here in Northwestern Colorado. I got my mm -hmm. first job as a newspaper copy editor, which means that I worked from 4 p.m. till midnight um, on like, you know, weekends and the first part of the week. So I think my, my days off were like Wednesday, Thursday, right? So super, like super crummy hours, but it was a really good opportunity. And it was living in, in my home state, like living in Northwest Colorado. And I said, oh, this is going to be great. Um, the problem with that was that on the days I was off, like nobody else was off. And then, um, 
by the time I got off work, everything was shut down. So I, uh, I drank alone, like from the beginning, <laughs> which yeah. is really like, now that we're talking about this, I didn't really realize that, but like, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a sophisticated lady. Like I'm going to go to wine tastings and I'm going to learn about wine and how cheese gets paired with wine. And this will help me in my professional career. But the problem is you can know all those things. And then if you get sloppy drunk in front of all the people that you work with, like, would you believe that's not something that advances that doesn't, they're no. not impressed. <laughs> no, and I was like taking, I was like taking alcohol to work and shit, like on on wow. the, yeah, like like lunch breaks and stuff, lunch breaks or dinner breaks, or we go to the pub. So, you know, young person in a ski town, of course, of course, you know, we had some of that, but like for the most part, I was like trying fancy cocktails by myself in my house from the very beginning of my drinking career. So yeah, you know, and I, I well, and it's it's we we often delude ourselves into thinking these things are um, more sophisticated than they are, right? And I don't want to, um, I, I have this conversation with friends from back in the day and mm-hmm. it wasn't all bad. They weren't all bad, terrible experiences, right? I mean, there was some fun to be had at that point. Unfortunately, I was unable, I was incapable of having just the right amount of fun. And it almost mm-hmm. always descended into something worse, right? Yeah. So, I mean, fundamentally a, a wine tasting is fine on its own, but I simply cannot put myself in that situation anymore otherwise it becomes a wine guzzling <laughs> yeah well, the way you describe it it's like I couldn't trust myself to be around other people because I would become a problem mm-hmm. you know and then it's like oh okay I would uh, instead of like stopping drinking and being like oh hey I'm damaging my reputation for this I'm like I'll just I'll just I just do this by myself in my house you know and the isolation until I can find yeah. the right people until, right. and then I found people who were more enthusiastic about it and then it wasn't a problem <laughs> we were all problems together but like until I found that group I was right. like, no, just, it's okay. I'll just do it at home. You know? Yeah. And that work in that swing shift and you just, you, and then ultimately, instead of finding people in those early years of your career that are working on their careers, you find the people who are working those swing shifts, who you can go meet up with for a drink, a mm-hmm. drink at one o'clock in the morning, right. Instead mm-hmm. of, you know, whatever else, um, yeah. getting sleep. Um, <laughs> it's taken me <laughs> decades to be able to work a swing shift and like go home, go to bed, wake up early because oh, it's I don't like... have that discipline. No. <laughs> no, well, I'm not work... saying I do it every night, but yes. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. No, I used to work these 12 hour shifts where I would rotate between day and night. It's called the DuPont schedule. I worked at a department of defense laboratory at this time. Like it was, mm-hmm. we were demilitarizing chemical weapons after like, that was my second Damn. job after I left the, after I left the newspaper. So it was like, not, I mean, it's not a place where you want to be super hungover. If, no. if I may be so bold, like that's not a great place to have a drinking problem. <laughs> like, oh, hey, look, extremely dangerous, like, like literal warheads, you Damn. know, that were processing and stuff. And, and so, but I was in my early twenties. And so like, that's when I found my real good drinking crew was when I lived in Salt Lake city, Utah, which by the way, everybody's either in temple or like, you know, doing drugs off the back of a toilet. Like there's no in between if you're in your twenties in Salt Lake city, it doesn't exist. <clears throat> and, and so, and so, um, so I found, you know, the right group of folks after finding like a like match for match on Craigslist, like that's, oh, so wow. I found my friend group in Salt Lake City and they rode hard. And so I would go, I would get off of work and go to the bars until like two in the morning. And then I'd have to be back at work at six. Oh and so like at work at six and I lived an hour and a half away and I'm, I'm, I'm like processing extremely hazardous chemicals while just like, uh, sorry, right, I'm, I'm okay to drive. <laughs> no 
like looking back at this I'm like how the only reason I'm alive still is so that I can tell other people how how ridiculous this kind of stuff is there's no other reason like I should definitely be dead yeah I mean I I just I can't even imagine I was hung over you know working at a coffee shop and I thought it was the worst possible thing in the world you know let alone Dude, I was, I would be in a, like an M40 gas mask for 12 hours sometimes because like we'd have a leak or something would happen at the plant and you'd have to put on a butyl rubber gas mask mm-hmm. hung over for 12 oh. hours in a butyl rubber gas mask. Like I, don't, I am a, I, you can't call me weak. <laughs> <laughs> Breathing in your own uh, Smirnoff ice. That's just oozing out of you. Yeah. Your own gassing so off of sorts. Oh my so God. Yeah. Yes. Cause I just remember those hangovers where it was just like, I could smell myself and I was like, I know it's bad. And it's like, I've taken a shower and I've brushed my teeth and everything smells like a barroom floor and yeah. it's just me. So, so this, this is in your early twenties and um, how long does this go on for Are you before? Does there like real problems? Are there legal problems? Are there any issues that happen that cause you to come out of it? Well, I mean, there weren't legal problems for like, there weren't consequences for a while, which is the problem mm-hmm. because I'm a relatively privileged, relatively attractive and relatively intelligent white lady. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I don't, I want to position this as the fact that like, I think I probably would have faced consequences a lot earlier mm-hmm. and I almost wish that I would have, but given the fact that I'm like of my, of my kind of like societal situation, I was given a lot of free passes. Um, you know, oh, you're speeding. Oh, you fell asleep at the wheel. Oh, you know, it's like some of these things, if there would have been, if there would have been some consequences, I would have been much more grateful because sometimes I did things just to see if anyone would notice that I was around, you know? And Mm -hmm. I, like, I remember one time right before I stopped, like, I I stopped drinking when I was 33, I think, um, back in what, 2018. Um, and I remember there was this one time about six months before that, that this sheriff pulled me over and my registration was out of date. And I was like, like, I, I felt so happy that someone gave a shit at, on that day. You know what I mean? I was like, someone, someone noticed that I did something wrong and that they actually want me to, they want me to do the right thing. They care about it. And it wasn't like that sheriff, I'm sure it was just like a oh, dummy, like register your car. But for me on that day, I was like, oh, wow, that's really what a, a relief. So yeah, so it, it went on. I mean, I, I started drinking when I was 16, took a little bit of break, took some breaks here and there, but there were like, you know, not really job consequences. Like I never got mm-hmm. fired for, for drinking. Like you know, I mean, I, I probably didn't get the best performance reviews, but I'm charming as shit. And so like, it just, it just didn't matter. Um, but then there was a day that came uh, when like my health was suffering really bad. And I had a really big blow out with my partner at the time. And he was like, you've, you've got to get some help for this. And over those, you know, those 10 to 12 years during that time, I kept seeking help for mental health because I had attempted suicide when I was 15. Um, I considered myself to be depressed or like, gosh, do I have bipolar disorder? Like, is there something wrong? Since then we've kind of sussed out that it's like pretty significant PTSD from a lot of stuff that happened in my childhood and things along those lines. Um, but I thought I was mentally ill and, and I didn't even consider that alcohol could play a role in any of this. And until someone like I'd had people who told me about AA and I was like, oh, how nice of them that they're telling me about AA because they want me to empathize with their problems. Like, <laughs> to me that they were like hey would you like to come to a like maybe you've got a fucking like pardon my language maybe you've got a problem like maybe there's something wrong with you but i was like oh all these these kind wonderful men at work who are saying like maybe oh hey there's an aa meeting i'm like oh i'm so glad you're telling me that you have a problem because now i can support you (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, so yeah, I always thought it was like I had a mental health disorder. Um, but, mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to treat until, until my partner was like, if you don't stop drinking, I'm going to kick you out. And I didn't want to be homeless. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's, there was my friend, Jerry tells a story about going to a, uh, going to a therapist um, while he was still drinking. And the therapist said, um, you know, he paid for the therapist and said, look, I can't continue to treat you if you're not going to stop drinking. Are you going to stop drinking? And he said, no. And the therapist gave him his money back and sent him on his way. I was like, I can't, you know, cause like, that's the thing we can't even deal with anything else until that is gone until there's a willingness to, to let that go. Can you talk a little bit about what brings a 15 year old PTSD to the point oh, of suicide? Yeah. Well, I mean, I come from like a highly religiously, like, like, like serious evangelical Christian background mm-hmm. with a lot of you know, shame and guilt and control and you know, I, um, I'm an only child of parents who struggle with their own, uh, mm-hmm. you know, situations. Like I mentioned the fact that we didn't really have alcohol in the house because we've got these kind of tendencies in our genetics um, is what I, is what I suspect. And so, so yeah, I mean, I just, it felt like, gosh, you can't, you're never going to be good enough. So, so why bother? You know, I mean, I, I just struggled with a lot of emotional and mental challenges as a young person that nobody paid attention to. <laughs> Um, and it, and it really like, I'm just starting to work with a trauma therapist right now, which by the way, um, EMDR, I am finding huge value in. So if folks listening are, are nervous or hesitant about that, if you've got trauma in your past, someone has told you you have trauma, like EMDR is a lifesaver. And I suspect that if we had more folks who understood the trauma that they came from, um, that substance abuse might actually diminish a little bit. And EMDR? What oh, EMDR is, um, I, it's eye movement desensitization, something it's a, it's a, it's a, a scientifically proven, um, therapeutic modality for, for PTSD in which they have you, um, it's, you hold these two, um, vibrating like pods, like, mm-hmm. the, like kind of these little, these little canisters in your hand, they fit in your hand and they vibrate. And what it does is it actually works on like you go back into the traumatic um, event, like you, you go visit it in your mind and then push out some of that stimuli from your body holding while you're holding these little, um, I, I don't fully understand how it works. I just went to an amazing therapist and I've been working with her for a couple months who has, who has actually started to push some of this um, trauma out of my bloodstream a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, and I've never actually gotten relief from therapy until I, excuse me, until I was able to, um, to get in with her. So, wow. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. That's good news. That's good to hear. Yeah. It's good. Stuff. So, so back to your partner saying you've got to get help or you've got to leave. Yeah. And did you get help at that point? Did Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to an all women's AA meeting for my first, my first meeting, um, which was wonderful. And I still have some great friends from that, from that time. Um, and then I spent about a year and a half going to, you know, I'd go to one to two meetings a day. I went to the 7am early birds group in, uh, in Grand Junction, Colorado, because I figured that folks who woke up to go to an AA meeting at seven in the morning were probably folks who were pretty dedicated to getting sober. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I chose that group and I would go every day before work. And then I'd, you know, go to a couple after work and, um, and yeah, I really threw myself wholeheartedly into the program. I, I do believe that there are, I think AA works for some people. Um, I think there are, there are different ways that we can all interact with it, you know, take what you can, 
take what works for you, that kind of a thing. But I did uh, work the steps with the sponsor, which I think if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be where I am today uh, because of the, the nature of my, of my personal illness. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was a, that was a transformative day, but it certainly, it was a, it was an ugly first year of sobriety, but like, that was not a lot, that was not fun. It's not fun, but it was worth it. What was ugly about it? Oh, I was just so, my body was so jacked up from all of the changes, right? Like just sleeping was problematic. I was crawling out of my skin. Like I'm an artist too. And you should see some of the art that I created during that time. It's not, it's troubling, you know, like you can just tell that there's just like these demons, you know, kind of you're sweating out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're sitting there and just sweating it out, like white knuckling it and trying to stay employed. It's trying to stay in a healthy relationship, trying to take care of my bills and my dog and like all of that stuff. Um, I just feel like that first year, like once I got my year chip, I was like, okay, like, like maybe I can relax a little bit, but it just felt like I was dedicating so much of my days to just getting through, you know, yeah. that first year. So yeah. that's why, and that's why I picked up weightlifting, you know? <clears throat> so, um, weightlifting. So you, you you, you get sober, you've been sober now. You said 2018, what's your date? Your, your, um, I think it's two nineteen eighteen. Okay. February, February 19th, 18th. I have to go. So that's like <laughs> almost four years we're coming up on, right? Yeah, we're getting there. Awesome. Um, so weightlifting, mm-hmm. um, this comes in how in sobriety? Yeah. So I was, like I said, I'm, I was a varsity athlete in, in high school and played mm-hmm. a bunch of sports. You know, I've been a skier for a lot of years living in, in, in Colorado where I am. And, um, I always really loved the gym and I was struggling. Like I say, in early sobriety, my body just felt gross. Like, like painful and achy and I wasn't sleeping well. And, uh, so, so my partner at the time, he and I decided, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to start getting healthy too. Cause he stopped drinking when I did, which was uh, a pretty cool thing to do. Um, and so, okay, we're, so we're going to go work with a trainer and I started working with a trainer like three to four months in, he goes, uh, like, you know, you're really strong. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm pretty strong. He's like, mm, no, that's not my, no, <laughs> like you're really strong. Like you should consider competing. And I said, well, okay. Um, yeah, I'll think about that. And we were just doing it for general health and welfare and fitness, like get out of the house a little bit and do something fun together. Right. And then I, we started, okay, well, let's, you know, let's be a little bit more intentional about this strength building aspect. And, and like, okay. So the reason I drank was because I would build up all of this. It just felt like this um, psychic ick, you know, like this, like this anxiety, like this ball of something in my chest. And when I drank, I could like get that to go away. And in the early days of sobriety, I tried to use art to manage this as well. And it did not really have the same like effect. Um, it was helpful, but not quite as, not quite as like aggressive a solution as what I was hoping for. And then I found when I started going to the gym and picking up, like I pick up very heavy things. Like I pick up 500 pounds now and walk around with it. Right. Um, but when I was just starting, I found that like the rush and the focus and the like brain chemicals that were generated by very aggressive exercise helped me to deal with the physical consequences of my psychiatric, you know, like my, my psychosocial problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could like, I could use physical movement to push out the ick. And as a consequence, like that's been, it's a major coping mechanism for me. Like if it was taken away, I would live still. Right. I understand that it's not the sole thing, but at this point, it's one of my passions. I love it. I'm, I'm a world record holding strong woman. Like uh, I have a world record in a grip sport. Um, I I'm a, a current... Wait, what's a grip sport. Oh yeah. So, um, grip is grip sport is like, 
uh, like obviously you pick up most things with your hands, right? Like, right. That's, but, um, but it's like grip specific. So it's like my, my world record is in what's called the blockbuster, which is a five by five square piece of metal that we mm-hmm. uh, suspend weight from. And then you have to pick it up and it has to, there's like a little peg that's like eight and a half inches above the floor and you have to lift the weight up to the peg and then, and then back down. Um, but yes, I have the, I have, it's a very, it's a, a very um, specific <laughs> sport, um, but nonetheless, world record holder. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And then, and then I'm also a, a champion strong woman and I'll be competing at the national show this year for the U S uh, strongman corporation or excuse me, uh, USS strongman. Um, and, and so it just accelerated from there and, and by, by getting sober, what it allowed me to do was find my passion and find my calling, like the thing that I was meant to do. Um, and it also helped me return back to what I think of like back to that idea of, I need to prove myself and I need to do the hardest thing. Like that's, there's nothing wrong with that ideology. Like I chose to study physics and I ran into too many barriers and I gave up mm-hmm. this time I'm choosing to do the hardest thing, but because I'm sober and because I have support and because I have the right resources and I have the right mindset, now I can succeed. And so it's just been a really interesting, you know, age 15 to age 35. So when I was 15, like things didn't go great. When I, when I was 35, I, I won my first, I won Utah's strongest woman, you know, and, and it took years to get to that point. Um, but to understand the mental, the mental fortitude of, of trying something challenging and then overcoming it, as opposed to trying something challenging and then giving up. Yeah. Um, it's a very profound transition in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And I love this idea of the psychic ick <clears throat> and having to release it. You know, because I think for me, and maybe you can relate to this, is that as an alcoholic, as somebody who is intrinsically addicted to fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. Alcohol was just the main one that took over about two decades of my life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so maybe also the psychic, it comes from some regret that I haven't let go of that. But, um, so whether it's food or, you know, being quarantined in 2020 and how the internet has taken over my brain or any number of things, external and internal, those PTSD moments from my childhood, the psychic, it builds up. And so I have just found that regardless of what I do, I don't think that is ever going to not fill up inside me at some point. Yeah. Right. I, it's, and I think that's a general human condition, right? We just yeah. psychic ick builds up and we have to find a way to release it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you found this in, in weightlifting. Once I got sober, it took me many years to, um, get to the point where running was my thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I dropped like 90 pounds in a year and I know, and I've gained back wow. like 25 of them, you know, since 2020 and, and that's fine. I, I will, I will deal with that. But, um, one of the things that was told to me was you can't just keep running, John, like you're not building any strength, like that's fine. And I, and so people would suggest things and I go, I'm not getting the same rush. I'm not getting the same yes. release. I'm not getting the same relief. And so I'm like, damn it. I don't want to lift heavy things because I don't feel that thing that you feel. And also I wasn't trying very hard and I was doing it on my own without any supervision. And I thought, how much harm can a 26 pound kettlebell do? I found out very quickly how much harm. Um, (laughs) I'm not laughing at your misfortune, but yeah, no, no, no. Kettlebell can do a lot of harm. (laughs) You know, because I'm 44 years old and I only started, you know, taking care of my body in 
late 2018. Um, a kettlebell at 26 pounds can do a lot of damage when you're swinging it around and not holding your back in the proper position, keeping it straight. So now I'm going to physical therapy and we're doing little things with no weights and they're, you, they're often checking, are you okay? Any pain? Any pain? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think we're getting there. I think we're turning the corner, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. um, but I, uh, my point is the idea of the psychic ick and finding the thing that will release it mm-hmm. is and, and it's, phenomenal. It's different from, for everyone, right? Um, mm-hmm. For me, I broke my foot this year. And I still came out, I still came out on top. I still won my most recent show. Like I I broke my foot and I got diagnosed with asthma over the summer. You can believe it. Um, But here's the thing is that like what you're describing, everybody gets humbled in the weight room. Everybody gets humbled probably in, in running, in distance running, like what you've been doing, right? Everybody gets humbled and injured at some point. And I think one of the coolest things that we get, we get to do this in sobriety. And I would never have thought of this before is rebuild. Because my, I have rebuilt my entire life and nothing that people can, like, there's nothing that can happen to me now. And maybe this is an arrogant statement, but I fully believe it. There's nothing that can happen to me now that I can't manage because I already went through the most difficult, like I've already had the worst day of my life. It's already happened. So like you come out with me with a broken foot, come at me with a back injury, you know, come Mm -hmm. at me with like, oh, look, you have asthma now. Okay. Well, I know how to handle all that. And that's the great part of being sober is that we're adults and we get to handle our own stuff. Like and and it sucks to have to rebuild but that's the way that life works yeah you know and that's part, we we talk about a lot in strongman which is which is my sport of choice um we talk about embrace the suck because if you've ever been a weightlifter and you try to pick up weight that is far away from you like you're trying to deadlift and you hold it arm, arm's length good, good luck you can get like the bar right mm-hmm. but if you if you hug it close to you you get really close to the source of your pain and you investigate it and you hold it tight and you drag it up your body Mm-hmm. That's where you get the most leverage. And, and I think as alcoholics, we have this tendency to run away from our pain, but what getting sober does is it affords us the opportunity and not even just, not even just the opportunity, but like the delight of being able to blast through that stuff. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> I would agree. I would agree because it's, um, it's very easy on mile one when all the little aches and pains come in and they're like very pronounced. And I'm like, this is only mile one. And then somewhere around five or six, I'm like, those are long gone. And, and then I'm like, well, I was only going to do six miles, but I feel pretty good. So I should probably just go. And it's pouring yeah. down rain. And I'm like, this feels epic somehow, you know? So, and then, and then it becomes 10 miles on a mm-hmm. random Monday afternoon. So I completely understand on that level. And I'm, I'm working on it with my, with my weights and, um, I'll get there. It's just, um, it's, it's the re that, you know, I had another friend of mine in fitness and he's, he's many years older than I am. He's like 12 years older than I am. Mm -hmm. And he said, you just have to get used to starting over. And I was like, God damn it. I hate that. I hate (laughs) that. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this again. And so, and part of my, um, you know, part of my current motivation is, once I get this shit together, I'm not going to lose it again because 2020 came and there were huge, there were all kinds of external things that I could not, I could not change. I could not handle. I could not accept. There were things I couldn't accept and I had to, and I couldn't and back and forth. And, um, but it's like, now I'm going to get it together and we're going to keep it here. So we have to like, this is that rebuilding period. 
And one of the other things that you mentioned was about dealing with food mm-hmm. in, um, in sobriety and or just addiction in general. And that's something that I am still trying to build as a healthy relationship to food because I don't want to be like, well, you know, M&Ms are bad. I mean, I'm pretty sure they are, but, um, <laughs> but they're bad for me. They bring you delight too. And here's the thing is I have been monastic about my food for so many years. Like when I was younger, I was trying mm-hmm. to control my size. And so I would, I was very restrictive in what I ate. And then even recently, like the last, like when I got sober, my ex and I, we gave up, like we started keto, which by the way, I, may I just not recommend that unless your doctor tells you to do it because, oh my okay. God, it might, like my heart almost exploded. I mean, if you're doing it, like that's anybody listening, that's cool. But like, you know, just kind of talk to your health professional first before you hit up that keto diet. Um, it did not go well for me health-wise. Um, but, but I, I have been really restrictive in what I've been eating and just like lean meats, vegetables, and rice for like years. And right now it's really funny. I've got another friend who's visiting me and she's also, uh, you know, a sober, a sober sister, a sober friend. And, uh, she's like, Hey, let's go to this restaurant. And I'm like, a restaurant, I don't, but, and then I have to eat in front of people. Like, I don't really want to do that. And she's like, no, 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 let's go. It'll be really fun. And so we go, and then I'm eating this delicious food. And I'm like, wait a second, but food can also be a source of delight for me. It doesn't have to be a compulsion. It can be something that I really enjoy. And I eat with the idea of, of having a good time. And then I can leave some behind on the plate and it's not the end of the world, you know? But it's it that takes, last it, part that I'm sometimes have difficult with, have difficulty with is that leaving it on the plate. And so it's like, and the whole reason, the only way I was able to, well, I, the only way I did lose all that weight was I started counting calories and it worked. And yeah. so now in my head, everything is a calorie and I'm completely obsessed and going crazy. And, you know, but so I'm just yeah. wondering how you currently at your world record holding, um, status, how you manage food intake. And I mean, I imagine with weightlifting, there's certain weight classes, right? Do you not? Yeah. You know what? I am resigned. And in fact, enthusiastic about the fact that I am a super heavyweight competitor. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cut weight. Um, because here's the thing. Number one, super heavyweights get to pick up the most weight, which is most impressive. And then you get the most cheering. Like that's okay. <laughs> I want attention. And so if, yes. that's, if I'm, if I'm going to get the most attention, I need to be picking up the biggest thing. So like, you could probably pay me in attention. I don't even really need money. Don't tell my boss, but like, it's pretty close <laughs> anyway. Um, so that's good news. And, uh, when it comes to my food intake, I eat intuitively. There's a book mm-hmm. called intuitive eating that I really love. Um, I suffered for a lot of years under, um, you know, neuroticism around food where I was constantly considering, is this something that's good for my body? Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm just kind of a fat lady and I'm 30, I'm 37 on Saturday. And I'm just like kind of a middle-aged fat lady who can also pick up a 500 pounds, you know? And so like, I'm okay with it. (laughs) They make clothes in my size that I can buy. So I'm not, as long as I am within the size range that clothes are made for me, I feel confident in the way that I look. And as a consequence, I'm comfortable. Like I try to get, you know, high protein, but like protein is kind of expensive right now too. So what do I eat? Like a ton of eggs. I love eggs. Um, I love rice. I love lean meats. I love vegetables, but I also eat gummy bears at an alarming pace. Like, (laughs) and there's peach rings in my purse right now because I'm like, ah, you know, I might need a snack later. (laughs) So, so when it comes down to it, I think it really just comes down to like, um, 
to, to developing peace, to developing peace around it and understanding that my body isn't what I thought it would be, but it can do some amazing shit. And so if I'm like, a, if some people have a concept of me not looking right, like that's on them. It's not on me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've heard about intuitive eating and maybe you can assuage some of my concerns with it is that I feel as if my brain is broken in that particular, that, that, that way of thinking and being intuitive because my intuition for so many years around alcohol. And also when I was drinking around food was to take in as much as possible. Like when I talked about M&Ms, I used to have family size bags in the uh, bedside, you know, table, mm-hmm. whatever. And so, um, so it's like, if my, if my intuition is broken, how can I be, how can I trust my intuition on that food? And so I'm mm-hmm. trying to slowly like, and so I, I get concerned about bringing certain things into the house because I know that I will eat them all. So it's like this, like slow moving twist of, I can have some things and I can leaving it on the plate is just always the hardest thing. My, the governor of how hungry I am doesn't seem to work right. Well, it's retraining that. It takes practice. Yeah. 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 What mm-hmm. you're describing, like I for months kept a journal in which I was like, after that meal, how full did I feel? Was it like, Hey, I could eat more. So it's like a three. Um, I'm, you know, like a satiation index was like three or like, Oh, I feel comfortable and energized. It's like a five or like, uh, you know, maybe I feel like maybe I shouldn't like, it's a little uncomfortable to have eaten that much. So like a seven or like Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you're at like a 10, like, okay. Like I, I rocked out on Thanksgiving. And what I found like during my first, <laughs> during my first, like six months of intuitive eating, um, you know, back in the day when I very first started this in like formal eating disorder treatment, really what I ate was chicken wings and chocolate cake. Like, I'm not even kidding because I had denied myself. I had been eating like, like vegetables with no sauce and like dry chicken breasts for the majority of my young adulthood, because I'm like, Oh oh God, Oh God, I don't want to get fat, which by the way, I've got like health conditions, like hormone conditions that make it really difficult for me to lose weight. Um, And, and those were accelerating during that time. So, oh my gosh, I can only eat these certain things. And then, then when they would told me I could eat anything I wanted, I was like chicken wings and chocolate cake. And that lasted not as long as you'd think. I was like, okay, my body actually needs a vegetable now. <laughs> like, like, maybe I should eat it. Maybe I should eat a tomato or like, you know, get a carrot on board or like some asparagus or something. Um, and I found that my body, like, like if you're trying to maintain a certain weight, I think that it, it can be a little challenging and divorcing the idea that weight is tied to health is really important for me um, because I'm arguably healthier than a lot of other people that are my size because of what I do, right? right. Um, the determinants of health, like I've got a master's in public health and what we think about your determinants of health are, are you drinking alcohol? Well, you and I both have that solved. Okay. So, you know, yeah, we're healthy box checked. Okay. Um, are you smoking cigarettes? or using tobacco products. Like I smoke a cigar every now and again, don't tell my doctor or my health insurance company, but like on occasion I'll have a cigar, but like, you know, okay. So that's, that's probably okay. Uh, are you eating enough vegetables? Uh, mm. You know, not how many servings are you getting? doesn't really matter to the type or the nature of them. Or just like, are you eating fruits and vegetables? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. You and I are doing that as well. And are you exercising the, what the CDC recommends? If you, if you look at those four factors, your weight, it, it people who are doing all of these things can be all different sizes, right? right? But as long as you're maintaining those four dimensions of health and like going to the doctor to get your health needs addressed, you tend to be longer in the lifespan. Right. 
like like overweight people who are unhealthy are just as at risk as underweight people who are unhealthy right so again but it's a lot of mindset shifting it's and we've got we've got to get there as a society you know yeah i need to get that as a human being um and and you know be able to be able to manage that because i would love to be able to share that feeling of like oh i figured it out and this is how and i haven't right yeah well it's not every day but it's not every day sometimes i have days where i eat like a whole box of cereal and i'm like you know not the best adult decision i could have made today things could have like that would have been a smarter i I could make a smarter choice, but mm-hmm. just like, we, you know, and, and this idea of even having everything dialed in and functioning perfectly, I've, I've had that, I think maybe for one day and then everything immediately went to shit again. Like the, the point for me is not really to have everything functional. It's the point for me is to be strong enough to hold it all together when it does fall apart, which is yeah. 90% of the time, something's yeah. horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> diet or working out or like my my dog currently has cancer you know like shit there's just there's so much that goes on that's super that's super wrong and you don't like you don't even have to maintain a positive mindset during that time you just have to get through it yeah yeah Yeah, i hear you um i think too you know as somebody who runs i'm a little more obsessed with losing weight because the lighter i am the easier it is on all the joints and blah 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 and so there is some actual um correlation to that and that's my thing. That's not for everybody, but that's my thing. And so, um, you know, and I'll, I'll get through it and we're going to, we have a race. I have a race next, next month. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that I can do it. I did 10 miles on Monday so I can run the 13 miles on the 12th of December. Heck yeah. So, um, but I would like to do it a little bit better. You know what I mean? I'd like to feel okay afterwards. And so it's yeah. like those things where I'm like, okay, so let's focus in on this as the actual goal instead of this sort of, and there were injuries, multiple injuries. And it's like, I couldn't, there was nothing I could do about those other than what I was doing. And that just wasn't, I wasn't able to train in the way that I wanted to. And so all this to say, as I'm lamenting and complaining and whatnot, um, is that, like you said, you have to be strong enough to deal with it. And that was the foundation that I have begun to build when I decided to quit drinking. Um, now we didn't, I didn't ask you, was there like a big moment of clarity day? Was there an epiphany or anything, or was it just, this ain't working? Well, I mean, there was the day that my partner was like, I'm going to kick you out if you don't stop drinking. Right. Like, so that, I mean, again, somebody who loved me enough to give me a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was that person at that time. And since then, you know, we've parted ways. Um, but I do appreciate the fact that he had the honesty and the candor to say like, this is not working for me. And if you can't get it together, like you're obviously gonna have to leave. Um, and I, it, that was a, that was an appropriate response. Um, yeah. At that time, I was so desperate because I had tried everything else, right? I had tried psych, psych, psychiatric medications, which I don't take anymore, but I definitely don't begrudge people who choose that path. Um, but I had, I had chosen therapy. I had tried, you know, support groups for different things. And really when it came down to it, I wasn't tackling the root of the problem. And even the alcoholism for me is not the root of the problem. It's trauma from childhood. It's trauma from previous relationships. And it's trauma from like a variety of other events that have happened in my life that made me want to zone out with drinking. Um, and so, but, but I feel like, I feel like just getting out of the burning building was so important for me at that time. Like now that I'm three years out now, I can say, okay, you know, let's tackle some more of these challenging issues. But for those first one, two and a half years, you know, I was just getting out of the burning building. And and I I hope that people who are listening to that understand and like, you can't like, don't, 
I, I didn't put high expectations on myself. It was like, go to work every day, you know, be a function, pay your bills on time. And since then I've bought a house on my own with the money that I saved from stopping drinking. Like that's how much alcohol I was consuming that I was able to yeah. put money aside in 18 months to buy a damn house. Okay. So <laughs> And I, I just bought a new car and it's not all about things, but it's like, I, I have had some medical events this year. I can pay the medical bills. I'm not dodging creditors right now. You right. know what I mean? It's a way it's, it's, it's a, it's an easier and more like refreshing and more empowering way to live your life. I'm a director at my current role in my job. Right. Um, like I'm, I'm able to move up. And if I had never gotten sober, if I never started tackling the reasons that I started drinking, I would still be like, struggling financially I would still be struggling emotionally and like in bad relationships and not not living the dream yeah yeah Yeah. um so is there anything currently that in in sobriety that you struggle with or find difficulty with I don't I don't struggle to stay sober because Mm -hmm. I know what it I I know I know I'm convinced in my heart of hearts that if I pick up another drink of alcohol, that's that will be the thing that kills me. And there may be a day when I decide that that's the, the right option, right? But um, I haven't had that in a really long time. Um, <laughs> but I do I do struggle like um, when I get sick, like mm-hmm. like over the summer I was sick, I broke my foot, right? If I can't get to the gym, then I've got to think of like different coping mechanisms. So I've had definitely like some backup coping me- mechanisms, right? And and if I'm going to be honest with you, dating as a sober person, t- giant pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. I am not into it. Like it is so hard to find folks who are, who are supportive of sobriety. They're always so like, like, Oh my gosh, can I drink around you? Because like, it's going to throw you I'm like, it's not okay. Someone's drinking a beer in front of me. It's not going to cause me to go off the wagon or like, I, if I pick up the wrong drink and I have a sip of it, like, Oh my God, my, I'm not going to start like, you know, uh, running people over in my car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's the concept that people have. Like if, if you're sober, you're defective mm-hmm. or, or they're, they can't imagine living life with a sober person. And so, yeah, d- like dating sucks. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm always, um, you know, and I think I I said this to somebody about, oh gosh, you know, being on a dating app and everybody has a glass of wine in their hands or at a party Mm -hmm. or something like that. And, and she countered and she said, well, you know, perhaps this is just when people feel the most um, confident and free and looking good and all that stuff. And I think that may have some baggage around it too, is that we only feel confident and free when we have a glass of wine and that sort of mm-hmm. inflated sense of self-esteem. But yeah. um, yes, it is, it is damn near impossible. It you seems. Don't wanna, you don't want to 13th step somebody like show up and be like, Hey, hey, hey new sober person. What's no. up? Like, like that's mm-hmm. not, that's a bad luck too. May I not advocate for that decision? No, um, <laughs> it's just <laughs> not at all. It, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, and I mean, or even finding sober friends. Like like all of my friends right now, all my girlfriends are mostly are mostly sober folks. But it's not mm-hmm. it's not easy to find that friend group. And I think I think really what I've had to do is just become being really comfortable on my own. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of my gym folks, like the folks that I work out with, like almost everybody at my current gym is also sober. Um, I hmm. found this out because I was talking to the owner who, and they volunteer and like help, they give memberships to the, to the folks that are coming out of like a sober living facility that's nearby because it's something that's close to their hearts, um, which I love. That's great. Um, but yeah, I think, I think just the socialization aspect, it gets lonely, but I'd rather be lonely than dead. Yeah. So no joke. Um, so, and I think lastly, 
Um, do you have any advice for anyone who is looking to get sober, stay sober? Um, what would you tell them? Yeah. During those early days, just give yourself, like give yourself a lot of grace and don't, don't put high expectations on yourself right out of the gate, like learning to accept what is and understanding that this is a lot of work. I feel like a lot of people look at people like you and I, who have been doing this for a hot second and they're like, Oh gosh, I want what you have. And I have had many days of like crying in the shower because (laughs) to get here. Right. And I still do. So I think that just understanding that this is, this is a lot of work and it's the only way out. So, and we're all here to support you in that in like, I'm personally here, contact me on Instagram. My Instagram is at KB lifts, K-A-Y-B-E-E lifts. I'm here to talk to folks about sobriety. Um, like, like, don't be shy. Don't be shy, but you got to put in the work. Yes. Yes, you do. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, I've, I've done it plenty of days begrudgingly. Like I have (laughs) I've got a whole, I promised myself some push-ups and some sit-ups and some, some squats and some miles every single day in November. And so I've got to go take care of those as soon as we're done here. Um, so, and that's just that one part of it. And, you know, this is part of it as well. You know, I think, um, I often think about, well, why do you do this podcast? Cause I, I want to check in. I want to make sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons. And I was talking to a friend of mine and he drinks. And there was something, his perception was that I felt like I was better than him. And I said, that's not it at all. Mm-hmm. I said, I think you're getting a, I think you're, you're missing the mark here. And if, if anything, I'm worse, <laughs> you know, like I have, <laughs> I was unable to cope and regardless of your relationship with alcohol currently, whatever, like that's really not the case. And, you know, honestly, I do it for my own sobriety as much as I do to help other people. There is definitely something, I don't want to say selfish, but uh, there's, there's a, a element of self-preservation in there. Right. Well, I tell, I tell everybody, like, I'm very open about being sober at work because number one, because the people who got me in the rooms of AA were people I worked with. And yeah. so I feel like if there are other people out there that I can affect in that same way, I feel happy about that. But also I'm very public about it because I want to give myself some motivation to actually walk what I'm saying, you know, and I I suspect that there's an element of that for you as well, because it's like, you know, people are, I don't want to be like, oh, people are counting on me, but gosh, it would really not look good. You know, it's not good for me at all to have Mm -hmm. alcohol, but it would also like, it's a safety measure. Like, oh, that's another reason to stay sober today, you know, because people, people know that that's a part of me that's important. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much. This was awesome. Yeah, it was nice to meet you. Um, And I will, um, I'll look for you again. You said on Instagram, tell me again, one more time. Yep, It's at KB lifts. So K-A-Y-B-E-E lifts, like lifting weight lifts. Mm -hmm. Um, So if anybody wants to get a hold of me, like you don't even have to follow me, but if you need a hand with sobriety, if you have any questions about getting sober or just, you know, want to chat about it, I'm, I'm here for that as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>